This episode of Pharmacy to Dose, the Critical Care Podcast, is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Chiesi is a family-owned, research-focused, sustainable pharmaceutical company accredited with both B Corp and a benefit corporation status. Chiesi is making global changes that benefits patients, providers, and healthcare organizations with forward-looking and impactful initiatives. Chiesi appreciates the integral role that clinical pharmacists play in patient care and are proud to support this community. To learn more, visit chiesi.pharmacytodose.com. Again, that's C-H-I-E-S-I.pharmacytodose.com. Dose.com. Welcome to Pharmacy to Dose, the critical care podcast, a partner of the ACCP Critical Care PRN. And I'm your host, Nick Peters. Wherever you are and whoever you are listening, thank you. This is the return of Trials of the Week. I review a landmark article in critical care and emergency medicine that was published this month in medical history, kind of like a this day in medicine. And today's trial is such a fantastic, practical, pragmatic research trial, changing the way we administer the anti-seizure medication levetiracetam. This is the 2020 Neurocritical Care article, The Safety and Tolerability of Rapid Administration of Undiluted Levetiracetam, and we are joined by first author Grady's own Olivia Morgan, and we set the scene, kind of review how Kepra was administered prior to this research, then we do a deep dive into our featured trial of the week to discuss findings implications and considerations from this research before getting to where are we now how is this protocol expanded both in-house and outside of of uh, her institution uh are other anti-seizure medicines able to be given rapid iv push and we plead our case on having kepra available in vials greater than five mls um the two other quick notes uh, first thanks everyone for your patience uh, the schedule will be off and rolling with two episodes going each week for the foreseeable future. The plan now, some of your feedback if you don't like this, but the plan will be the episodes will be released on Tuesday and Thursday night or Friday morning. So I'm going to be more consistent on that. Um, hopefully that makes things better and easier for you, the listener. And since, right, this is March 1st, Friday when this gets released, Figure I can give everyone a preview of the 2024 March Madness Bracket. That is right. It's the return of two things today. So in 2020, if you remember, we did a bracket on the best critical care pharmacotherapy. And for 2024, it is influential critical care trials. That's correct. Four regions, 68 studies. And you, the listener, revolt on the ultimate winner of the best ICU study. So, 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 so much more to come here. Um, but figured I want to give the best listeners in the world a little preview of what's on the horizon for, for March and March Madness. So sit back and enjoy because trials of the week have finally returned to the pod. We're back home. Enjoy. And we are very lucky to be joined by special guest and first author of our featured study today, Olivia Morgan. Now, Olivia is a neurology clinical pharmacy specialist at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia, and she's kindly taking time out of her busy day to join us. Welcome, Olivia. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. 
on, Nick. Thank you for having me. Uh, the pleasure's all mine because uh, very excited to be able to highlight one of what we would say is practice-changing um, research here and things that, um, you know, this might be some of the first time that people are hearing this study, but if you work especially in an emergency department, this study has affected you in a very, very positive way. So very excited to get into it all here. Very excited to have you joining us to get into all the nitty-gritty. Sound good. Now, as we do with our trials of the week, Libby, let's set the scene here. And how did we routinely administer levetiracetam in neurologic emergencies or even in general prior to this study of giving it undiluted rapid IV push? Yeah, so prior to being in neuro, I was actually an emergency medicine specialist. So my whole residency, second year training was in emergency medicine, and I practiced in emergency medicine before transferring over to neuro. So I got to see at the bedside firsthand a lot of Keppra or levetiracetam utilization. And largely, this was either compounded through an IV room at your pharmacy, or you would purchase commercial bags. Uh, commercially available bags. Sometimes there's a difference in cost there. So currently at my current institution, cost is always a consideration because we are a safety net hospital. And maybe those commercially available bags may offset a big budget for a big utilizer like Kepra. So we would often be pre-mixing these bags in the IV room or buying them. And this is taking up a lot of valuable space in your Pixis machine. So while they were readily available, sometimes they weren't because we're using a lot of them. Yeah, a a lot of extra time or a lot of extra resources on the back end if you're able to kind of get those things. And, you know, one of the biggest differences as we think about the background and what was published prior to this, why it was so groundbreaking, is that you researched undiluted administration. So for those who hear that and may be confused, what exactly is diluted like Keppra or Levetiracetam? Yeah, so levetiracetam diluted is generally what you would think of when you think of our old standard dose formulation. This is taking that solution in a vial, which is largely 100 milligrams per ml in a 5 ml vial, and instilling it into a bag of normal saline or even D5W. Now, Previously, there was some literature that looked at one-to-one dilution, so a minimally diluted product, which is still utilizing the same resources, the same time, to be able to use smaller volumes. Now, while this is wonderful as far as administration and as far as maybe picks a space, you're still combating the same beyond-use states and resources and potentially lack of availability if we don't have enough stock prepared. So undiluted is taking the manufacturer vial and not touching it and then using that to provide therapy to the patient. And you mentioned those 5 ml vials. We will get to that, listeners. Don't worry. We will. It'll be an airing of the grievances. It'll feel like Festivus at the end of this episode. So, um, you know, you mentioned your kind of previous clinical career being in emergency medicine. So how did this study exactly come to be? Was there a trigger? Were you tired of doing the one-to-one dilution, tired of waiting and, and constantly calling the IV room? Or was, was there something that spurred? How did this get spurred from an idea into this research study that we see here? Yeah, so in truth, 
I practice largely with the bags. And when you're looking at standard administration rates of our normal anti-seizure medicines, there is standard and then there's like the max rate. So when you're looking at providing emergent therapies for patients, you want to really gravitate to the max tolerable rate to be able to provide therapy faster. So part of that is, well, why are we, you know, using so much volume? Why can't we just pull and push for our patients? So around the time this idea came to mind is when IV push antibiotics really started to come, you know, more into practice. And then I never let go of the idea, but really didn't have the golden opportunity to really make that first step into getting it out there to we can to where we can see if it's beneficial and also tolerable. So there was a fluid shortage in 2017, 2018 that really gave the perfect environment to pitch it, produce it, and then of course study it based on the available data that we did have pre-marketing to essentially say that this is enough framework for safety and we need to produce this on a larger scale to A, help our nursing staff, help our patients, and then also provide better access to the medication overall. Yeah, I was wondering how much that fluid shortage played a role. Hey, you normally that the drug shortages are hurdles and barriers for us. Right. So at least we were able to take one of these and turn it into a, uh, a positive or a situation that became a positive. Obviously, no fluids is still bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> but let's kind of get into our study, the feature trial of the week uh, entitled The Safety and Tolerability of Rapid Administration of Undiluted Levetiracetam, published in February. February 2020 in neurocritical care. Now, a retrospective single center study reviewing the safety and tolerability of that rapid undiluted administration given over two to five minutes um, and adult patients who received at least one dose less than or equal to one gram were enrolled from January 2018 through June 2018. And that, um, reference range or time period was chosen because the go live of the initiative happened in December, 2017. I'm guessing that was the pilot go live. And then you look after some of the kinks have been kind of taken out. So, um, really standard exclusions for, you know, those who are trained in the IRB for things like pregnant patients and prisoners, but clearly tried to make this as all inclusive as possible because it appears as if really just IRB exclusions are people who were excluded, those at higher risk populations. Um, charts were reviewed for the incidence of injection site pain, things like discomfort, erythema, extravasation, anything leading to IV line discomfort or replacement. 199 patients included, 1,600 doses, just over, were given, most commonly one gram through a peripheral line with an indication of a seizure prophylaxis. So, Libby, feel free to expand or highlight anything from those methodology details and let, let us know what, what you all ultimately found in the results. Absolutely. So we really focused in, in that fluid shortage on the doses where we were using our resources and lack thereof. So technician support and then the lack of fluid. So at our institution, doses of thousand milligrams or less is what we were compounding. So that's why we focused on those in the beginning. 
And we know that those are high utilizers at our institution. We actually had a commercially premixed product for 1500 or potentially a little higher because they just weren't being utilized as often. And as you can see from the study, we saw a lot of seizure prophylaxis. We are a robust neuroscience center. So we see many types of patients requiring seizure prophylaxis and also seizure control with Keppra or Levetiracetam. And so this is just a six-month snapshot because I think one of our neuroendovascular attendings, he's very wonderful, but Dr. Nugera, who was the pioneer of the DAWN study, said, listen, don't wait too long to get data out there. So this is only a six-month snapshot. And you can already see that it was very impactful. And largely, we found that while we only included 200 patients, there were many doses and many opportunities to determine the safety and tolerability. We know that through that one-to-one -one dilution study that this is effective. We're not changing PK. We're just trying to see if it's more tolerable. And ultimately, we found just that. Now, while there might be some anecdotal reports of, of agitation, since this was retrospective, that's not unknown to levetiracetam. We know that some agitation can occur, and that can occur both IV, whether you have it in a bag, a vial, or a pill. So we found that overall, most patients tolerated this very well. Now, there are limitations, of course. Some nurses already kind of dilute everything before pushing it. And we didn't look at those higher doses then, but it set a foundation for us to springboard to look at higher doses and also others as well. Yeah, you mentioned the there are some nurses who pre-dilute everything. I feel like there's three buckets, right? Those who pre-dilute everything, those who follow the instructions, and those who probably don't dilute much, and they come <laughs> and they try to give it as, as fast as they can. Um, exactly. You know, that's really interesting talking about the one gram doses being the most commonly used, and I think what some of us may forget, right, this is a 2018 time frame and mm -hmm. the landmark ESIT study that was published in 2019. And that changed, that put our dosing on its head in terms of how much to give in things. So when you were, because we're kind of familiar with the 60 mg per kg up to 4.5 grams for Keppra now, but when you were treating, you know, emergently using Keppra 2017, 2018 range, what were, what doses were commonly given? So that's a great question. So the ESET trial, we were an enroller in that and largely we're all blinded to the results. These are separate from what we are doing as an institution and we were only doing doses maybe up to three grams. However, we really couldn't touch those larger doses based on the package size and were really using that commercially available product that had the mind the the mindset to really incorporate those higher doses should this be favorable. And once the ESET study was published, now we know that we can largely expand out to even higher doses that we know are tolerable and effective. I think the biggest barrier is the practicality of it, trying to figure out how to keep that streamlined and emergent nature and not use as many resources to potentially delay therapy to the patient and keep it really at the bedside as much as possible. 
So I have to ask, were you still in the ED when the ESID trial was enrolling? And like, so were you like, would you say you were a participant in that? I know you said the your your hospital or institution was. I wish I could say that I was a participant. Uh, um, at that point, I had already moved into the inpatient neurology uh, space. And with that, I did, ha- I do have still a great relationship with my emergency medicine colleagues, and we still collaborate when we can, and we even have some research projects coming up now. But unfortunately, I didn't get to see the direct bedside aspect of the ESIT study and really get my own opinions in there. I was one of the very many who got to see the results on the flip end and then help implement that overall as part of our policies, protocols, and order sets. How fascinating, but that's a, I mean, it really did change care, like the, the amount of mm-hmm. things that actually had to get changed from all kind of processes of it. So, um, cool to, to talk to a center that did it. And of course would be remiss. I'm Emory trained, rotated through Grady. So of course, what a, <laughs> uh, got a shout out the, the great folks down in Atlanta now. So the study we protocol was implemented 2017 Patients were enrolled from a cohort in 2018, published in Mm -hmm. early 2020. So from 2020 to now, right, it's been about four years. So have there been any changes or modifications to this initiative since the protocol that's kind of laid out in this trial? So at our institution, we've expanded this to 1,500 milligrams and still see the same outcomes that we did. We're still seeing tolerability and safety. And what's been the most awe-inspiring thing is to see other people use this data and implement it at their institution, even going up to the 4.5 gram doses as seen in ESET and still seeing the same reproducible product. I think the only thing that has kind of kept us at bay of really jumping in there yet is still trying to implement a safe practice to do so, since we largely would love to keep the admixture of this at bedside and avoid going back to the IV room. We are still holding at the 1500 milligrams until we can get some nursing education out there in regards to living under that USP 797 umbrella. Even in the 2023 update, you can only do three vial transfers at a time to be able to maintain a sterile product. So that's why we're limited to 1500 and we want to push to that 4.5 gram dose, but that requires three separate syringes in order to maintain overall sterility, especially with the amount of levetiracetam we use here, including those high ESET doses. So we're still working on that, but I would really love if someone were listening (laughs) to be able to help us out a little bit more to where if we had a vial size larger than that 500 milligram per ml, you would change so many lives. You would change my life and you would change the lives of providers everywhere. Yeah, Libby, let's talk about it. Let's air our grievances because (laughs) the 5 ml vials, first time you use it, you kind of just assume there's a drug, at least when I did. I'm not EM trained. So when I come down there and I'm getting all the vials, right, to to give it IV push, um, 
they're all five mls i'm like well there has to be like a drug shortage right there's no or someone loaded this wrong this can't be right but then i'm consistently pulling nine vials every time we have someone coming in so just like libby's pleading for researchers to help us from a sterility perspective I am pleading with any generic manufacturer, you will be the instantly most used if you just came up with a 4.5 gram vial or just a two gram. Anything more than 500 milligrams is all we're asking for. And it's the the sterility question is such a, a funny thing to me because, you know, I completely understand the manipulation and the, mm-hmm. you know, if you have more than three kind of insertions, you need to use a different needle. But then I also think it's strange we we have that policy for something given rapid IV push, but yet something can be hung at the bedside for hour, even hours made non-sterily, and that's okay. I don't consider myself like a sterility expert at all, but that just seems very strange, strange to me. Um, but... Hey, we got to make sure that we're given the safest drugs. I'm not saying that we that I uh, am arguing that perspective. This episode of Pharmacy to Dose is proudly sponsored by Chiesi, providing innovative pharmacologic therapies for over 85 years. Chiesi is committed to supporting the clinical pharmacist community and the patients you serve. To learn more, visit chiesi.pharmacytodose.com. So closing this out, you know, one of the biggest things whenever, you know, one of the first episodes ever, you know, we asked Kerenberger her opinion on favorite AED, and she said the one that you can get the quickest. So when you're giving things IV push, right, we're looking at Kepra. Are there other AEDs that we've looked at, maybe you all or other groups where we've gone from a strict IV piggyback to now we're able to give some of these doses IV push? Absolutely. And Kepra is not the cheese that stands alone. Phosphenatoin, we give this IV push, but oftentimes we are always kind of gravitating towards that very tolerable, least drug interactions. I want to put on something that works and maybe you can keep long term. While we're still exploring the possibility of rapid administration, anti-epileptics in many different degrees, I think that the next piece is that we've already for the past couple of years started pushing IV leucosamide or Vimpad, which tends to be another big player in status epilepticus and seizures just from an efficacy and tolerability standpoint. So while I feel like, you know, Levitrustam was my gateway, I know that others are exploring out there and I constantly encourage at least my residents and my medical residents, neurology attendings to keep exploring the what can we do to make this better. And and that's the beautiful thing about research. Even my newest residents as part of being coordinator for the residency program, sometimes they all talk about randomized perspective controlled trials and they are wonderful and they are fabulous for our careers and patient outcomes. But there is the value in asking the question, doing the research, and doing something retrospectively. Like you mentioned, this study was uh, through an initiative through December 2017. So we started only just for a few months getting it implemented and then studying it for six months. And only just a six-month outcome led to this firestorm of other people 
researching and asking more questions. So my hope is that this will not stand alone. We'll start seeing more uh, rapid administrations of anti-seizure meds or even advancing upon other practices that we do. I never thought we'd get to reference Kepra as the gateway drug. Normally you hear gateway <laughs> drug and it's a bad thing, right? But this said, this yeah. feels like gateway drug in a good way. And I feel like you left us with really two really, really good tips, right? Stay curious, keep asking questions. And just like you all did with the leader of the Dawn study, listen to smart individuals around you and take their advice. And I think those are two uh, really, really uh, great points. And I agree, there is certainly value in all sorts of research, right? The prospective randomized trials, those could take five, 10 years of your life to go through, and you might not show anything significant, right? But there are studies that you can do to definitely help out your day-to-day, what you'd say more of like your pragmatic or practical research trials that still very, very much have a, a purpose and a place in the medicine, pharmacy, research, all the types of worlds. Um, Olivia, Libby, thank you so much for joining, taking time to highlight this study all the way down from the Big Peach, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Appreciate you so much. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Another huge thanks to... Olivia, what a fantastic guest. So fun. What great research to get to highlight. Uh, reach out to me with feedback or episode ideas at pharmacy to dose, to dose on your socials, right? X, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, what have you. Pharmacy to dose at gmail.com or of course the website pharmacy to dose.com. And until next time, I'm Nick Peters and this is Pharmacy to Dose, the Critical Care Podcast.